in this fast-paced world where everything moves quickly and we're on to the next thing before we finish what we're doing, we might stop a moment and reflect on our thoughts and how they echo through time. They are not a one-and-done phenomenon. They linger and hang around in our subconscious, waiting to surface again. Hi, I'm Beth Vaness, host of the Thought Echoes podcast. I hope you enjoy my conversation about mirroring and thought echoes with Clay Drinko, author of Play Your Way Sane, on the intersection of improv, science, and the everyday. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, Beth. Uh, my name is Clay Drinko, um, and I'm the author of Play Your Way Sane. Uh, and I do a lot of writing for psychology today about this connection between improv and psychology and cognitive science, uh, how improv affects and changes the brain in ways that other activities don't. And I know the first time when I was researching improv last year, uh, I had a friend who had a stroke and he studied undergraduate um, in music and then he's an MD. But when he had a stroke, I was really, I had read either an article you wrote or somebody quoted you saying how you lost yourself with improv, like you didn't remember what you did and you were quote unquote in the flow. And so I was curious how Mike experienced his thoughts being an improv person with jazz before and after his strokes. And so then I went and got your book, Play Your Way Same, and I've been, you know, reading it like crazy and asking you questions like with my three year, almost three-year-old granddaughter and other things. So the the concept of what the brain does on improv and how it can help in our relationships was just such a rich petri dish of ideas that you have. So can you talk about how your your thoughts kind of revolved around deciding to write this book? Yeah, I first started um, with improv back in college. Um, and once I really got the rules of it and started getting comfortable and started just being more successful with it, I had this experience when we would have performances where I would be all sort of excited, ready to go on stage, and then I would stop remembering. And the next thing I would remember was that the show was over and, and people were clapping and, and people said how great it was. And I mean, that was kind of terrifying, but yeah. I knew I knew at the time that it was a good thing, even though I didn't have words for it. Um, and then I would watch the tapes after, and I saw on these tapes, like the best version of myself. I was like worry-free and so brave and just doing things that were so bold and brave and connected with all the people on stage. Um, and I would talk to, uh, people who were like psych majors and therapists, and they would say that what was happening was like a bad thing, that I was like dissociating or something. <laughs> and and I knew that they were wrong. So I sort of uh, tucked that away. It's like, I want to figure out what this is. I want to mm -hmm. understand it more because I know it's good. I know it's good for me. And I don't experience any of this in my real life, in my everyday life. And I, and I want to be able to. And so it was maybe, you know, five or six years later that I went to grad school and that question was still in my mind. And so I decided to explore that for my dissertation, for my mm -hmm. PhD. Um, and that's when I started putting together a theory of what is going on in improv that's different in other places. And, and one of the big things is 
for me is about a shift in focus. I kind of always go back to this idea of improv requires you to be so in the present, so focused on what's happening here mm-hmm. that your your brain doesn't have time to do anything else. And that sort of hyper focus, hyper flow state um, can can like change your experience of of what it is to be you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Keith Johnstone talks about this in his book from the 70s, Impro, um, as a, an altered state of consciousness. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I would call it that, but like, I do know that, um, th- that it, it does have to do with this idea of like, if I'm really, really focused on what's happening in front of me, mm-hmm. then my brain can kind of take a vacation from all these critical thoughts. And so much so that it feels like a different brain or a different person. And even how you're um, gathering and and storing memories is affected by it. Well, the other thing that fascinated me, and I think part of this has to do with the political climate we're in, COVID, just, there's just a lot of cultural once in a generation stuff that's going on. And so um, family relationships that you may not have agreed on religion and politics, which are really fundamental, but you could still carry on conversations with people without some trigger or worrying about some trigger that was gonna take you or you know have somebody go way off. But the, the uh, improv concept of yes and, rather than all the naysayers out there was just, you know, it's like, I, I guess I knew that, but it came within this fresh concept in this cultural moment. And even with my relationship with my husband, we've been going, we've known each other since 17. So we've been together a long time, but there would be little, and maybe it's the togetherness because of COVID, but there'd be little things that would trigger. And it's like, I don't want, I don't want that in the relationship. So they're doing the yes. And it's like, just pay attention to what my, for me, pay attention to what my responses are. And I consider myself an optimist and very optimistic, but I'm not a hundred percent that way. And so I caught, I found myself catching, you know, like, oh, you were going to say no to that. And then, so playing the game, although I didn't tell him playing the game of yes. And without being, um, kind of, uh, uh, making fun of him, like, you know, he said something that of course I think is ridiculous and saying yes and and making it too much of a game. But can you talk about the relationship piece of it? Because this, the flow state you're talking about was what you were experiencing in the moment, but talk about how you've used that in terms of your relationship, both with your students and your partner, if you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, just what you were saying really reminds me of how much, uh, I'm going to call it how many scripts we bring to all of our interactions every day instead of baggage. Maybe it's a nicer way. Well, that is. Um, Or preconceived ideas. Um, And this really happens with longer term relationships. I think it also happens with teaching, right? Of like, oh, a student has done this six times. I'm going to label them as a disruptive student, or I'm going to label them as like a, you know, an overachiever. And it's not that you're saying that to them. Mm-hmm. But even just the thinking of it, you know, uh, the the human mind is is made to take all these shortcuts, right? If we didn't take these shortcuts and come up with all these different preconceived notions and scripts and categories, like we just, there's not enough power, right? There's not enough time in the day, right? We do have to do shortcuts 
in order to just get through the day and get through our life. But I think the amazing thing with yes and is that it can override those preconceived notions or those scripts that we're bringing um, into our relationships. And so the idea with yes and, you know, in improv, it makes sense because if I get up on stage and um, we have no idea what's going to happen, we don't know who we're going to be, we don't know where we're going to be, I really, um, to, to keep the scene going um, and to make us feel kind of safe and grounded, like I, I kind of have to go along with what you're saying. Because if you say, what a great day to be at the beach, and I go like, what beach? <laughs> it is, as a, someone who's done improv for a long time, um, it's an awful feeling to, to, to not know where I am. Like, is it, okay, it's not a beach. I, now I don't know where we are. I don't know who we are. That's mm -hmm. a terrifying feeling. I think it's a terrifying feeling in real life too. So this idea of taking the yes and rule and bringing it into our everyday lives is the same thing, right? If if I go along with your reality, even if I don't agree with it, um, at least I'm trying to figure out where you're coming from in this moment, mm -hmm. instead of operating from a script that we wrote right. a year ago or, right. or 10 years ago. Um, and so in a relationship, it might be... Um, I don't know. I always go back to me being defensive because that's that's one of my things. That's one of my jams. You know, maybe it's somebody telling me that, um, you know, that I'm not uh, organized enough. And instead of me like refuting that, yes and is about me trying to understand where this person's coming from, not making it about me, but like what's going on with them, right? Are they feeling mad because the school or the, the house is disorganized? Are they feeling like I should have been doing something I, I, you know, or shouldn't? So I think it's more about finding out more information instead of um, just assuming like, oh, here they go again. What a jerk, right? <laughs> or whatever my script is. Um, yes, and helps us um, play out that scene in real life. And, and, you know, I'm reading, I just finished reading a book. Um, I always get the title wrong, but it's like how to talk. So your kids listen mm -hmm. and listen. So your kids talk, it's, it's right. like a classic. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, you know, so many things it has, has amazing um, advice and tools and strategies for parents. So much of it is just about kind of yes. Anding of mm -hmm. just saying like, you're really, really mad, right? Like, let's play that out instead mm -hmm. of calm down. It's right. going to be okay. You're fine. What happens when someone tells us to calm down? <laughs> I know what happens to me. I lose my mind. <laughs> don't, don't tell me to calm down. Right. It's infuriating because then I'm not like seen my, like my experience is not being sort of validated mm -hmm. and, and, uh, it almost feels like, you know, it, it, a little crazy making for someone to say like, what is happening to me is not okay. It shouldn't happen. And so much of that is about like the other person doesn't want it to happen because mm -hmm. they don't like it. Right. Right. And so a, a lot of this yes and work for me in my relationships has just been leaning into like, what's going on with you. Right. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. You seem really upset. Um, what's really going on. Um, and so that's how I tried to use it you know, in, in play your way sane and then really in my everyday life.
when um since you've got a three and a six-year-old and I have an almost three grand uh almost three-year-old granddaughter the I know when I asked you after I, I got so excited about the book and I asked for a suggestion and you said the name it game so just you know walking down the sidewalk so instead of saying um there's a I don't know it's some judgmental adjective there's an angry dog that was barking it's like there's a dog barking there's a crack there's a sidewalk so trying to have fun with just naming things and to try to keep the judgment off and it was amazing how the adjectives you just wanted to put those descriptors in so that was more a, a mental exercise for me she's just in one and two words you know so for her it was it was a piece of cake but the one I was trying to do this weekend was I was trying to spend more time mirroring her in terms of instead of here are all the things BB wants you to play with is just let her do some more self-directed, but leave enough of a pause for what she wanted to do and then kind of initiate that and, you know, mimic, mimic her. I don't mirror mimic. I don't know what the difference really kind of is in those two, but can you talk about mirroring in being in the moment and present? Yeah, I think mirroring or even like energy matching is is really important and kind of related to what I was saying before, you know, if, you know, my three-year-old is freaking out and she freaks out a lot because she's three um, and, and it's a struggle. I'm not saying this always works or I always do this improv way, right? Like sometimes <laughs> it's 9 p.m. and I'm out of steam, but on the good days, um, uh, it's it's more about um really perceiving what their energy is um so it, it's two things so i first want to talk about the energy matching what i was doing um with my three-year-old was you know trying to stay really calm like oh she's freaking out she's at an 11 i'm gonna be really calm even though on the inside i'm freaking out too <laughs> and and that doesn't work right that seems to make her even more upset and so now I'm trying to like match the energy, not also freak out. Like nobody right. needs to, to freak right. out, but I'll be like, oh, you are really upset. Like that is the worst when you want to eat something, you know, for dinner, you want to have some chocolate, like, you know, and really getting up there with the energy that seems to help her feel like, okay, he gets me he, right. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not in her head, but, um, it really has been helping recently. And so much so yesterday, I really was doing that with her. And, you know, I went over to her and sat next to her when she was feeling calmer and she touched my arm and she oh. said, just went, I love you, daddy. Oh. And so it's, I can't say that that's why, but like right. we, had a, we had a really a good day yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. And the day before we really didn't because I was not feeling calm. I was, mm -hmm. the screaming is really hard for me to hear. Mm -hmm. And I was not energy matching, right? I would be like, Interesting. it's okay. But she could tell like right. it was not okay. So that's one idea of like this, this energy matching. But for mirroring, that's always my gateway to playing. Even mm -hmm. if I don't feel like I want to play, um, I think so many times parents and me included think that I need to do like an activity, right? Like mm -hmm. we need to play a board game or we need to do arts do and crafts. Right. Yeah, do something. But- those are not my most successful times with playing with my girls. Um, what ends up being more successful is if I just mirror them. 
Like if we're taking a bath, this is one of the, the most common places that I mirror because mm -hmm. um, it's just you and the kid and you're just kind of staring at each other and there's not a lot of extra stuff going on. Um, and we, so many funny games have come from me just like giving back what they're doing mm -hmm. and heightening it a little bit until it gets sillier and sillier mm -hmm. and sillier. And it can be something like a little arm movement or a gesture. And if they see like, oh, wow, he's really looking at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. What if I do this? And what if I do that? And humans are just are, are born copiers, right? This is why we have language. This is how we can communicate. Um, you know, we're social beings mm -hmm. who mirror. Yeah. And so really taking advantage of that can really strengthen a relationship, especially if you're thinking about doing it in a playful way. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference between mimicking and mirroring for me is like mimicking has this um, mocking yeah. connotation to me. Yeah. And mirroring is just a like, you did this thing mm -hmm. and now I'm doing it and you're right. And it's just this um, sort of experiential exploration idea instead of like copying you. Right. Right. And now I was talking about when um, somebody is mirroring me when I was just doing some free writes about it and what does that feel like? And I made a comment or in my journaling was that if if I feel like somebody's listening to me, like active, really trying to understand me in their mirroring, whether it's the leaning in or whatever it is, um, that feels supportive and safe. Mm -hmm. Whereas mimicking feels like you've walked into a party and somebody, you know, has been saying something behind your back and it doesn't feel like a safe space because you're being, you just feel like somebody made fun of you and that doesn't feel good. So um, wanting to do the mirroring as the active listening, you know, um, since this is about thought echoes, can you talk about, um, and whether this is an improv or not, or writing your book or not, but are there in, in your experience, have there been certain thoughts that have echoed? Uh, what does that evoke to you? I do think this improv way of thinking is one of the big echoes. It's it's one that I keep trying to go back to. I, I wanna keep trying to experience this feeling that is without worry, without anxiety, totally listening to the people around me, totally open to whatever they're gonna say um, and not afraid of, of them saying anything, right? Like that's what it felt like to be on stage um, and really in the moment. And I think that's, that's something that I'm I'm really drawn to. I'm I'm fascinated with it, and I use it um, with my teaching. I try to use it in my relationships, um, and it's especially become part of my writing process. Like I don't improvise anymore on stage, mm -hmm. but how I write is full improvisation. Like I am trying to delight myself and entertain myself, make myself laugh. I don't censor myself. Like I really say things where I'm like, I can't believe you just said that. And it's all through writing. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a, uh, just a really cathartic, therapeutic, fun uh, experience. And lately I've really been trying to think more. I know, you know, some people say writers are supposed to really think about their audience. And some mm -hmm. people say that you shouldn't, right? There's different right. schools of thought. I really have been 
thinking about my audience lately in a way that I never used to. I used to kind of write for me mm -hmm. um, and you could hear my voice in the writing. Now I really will think like, this is a book for, you know, high schoolers and I can picture them, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to them and being silly with them. And that's added a whole nother dynamic to my, my writing and the way I'm thinking while I'm writing um, that feels really liberating. And part of what I'm doing when I'm writing is that same thing I was doing when I walk onto the stage is instead of trying to be a smart, successful together college student, right? The moment that I was taking the stage, I could be dumb and make mistakes and mm -hmm. be a mess. Like I, I, I could just be a monster, right? I could be whatever. And so I try to do that now with my writing, especially mm -hmm. there's an element of that with my teaching that I think really helps. I teach seventh and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. um, and so seventh and eighth graders kind of what I've learned so far in my 10 years of teaching is that it's like catcher in the rye. It's authenticity over, <laughs> over anything else, right? Like they can smell out the phonies and the fakes. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps me tap into this um, authenticity with them. Like mm -hmm. I have more fun. Sometimes I say something where I'm like, eh, like that's, you know, a little bit silly or a little bit. And, and, you know, it's, I still am, I still have my regular brain. Like I'm not just being out of control, mm -hmm. but there's an element of spontaneity to it um, that feels lighter. That feels like less worry, less stress. And, and so I think, you know, that's, that's one of the echoes. And I think the other echo that I have, that's the opposite of that, why I'm so drawn to the improv lighter, spontaneous way is probably the reasons that I am such a worrier and overthinker mm -hmm. and anxious person, right? I have a very active um, inner director's monologue. Cut. <laughs> yeah. Director's like, cut. It's really intense and it's, it's almost constant unless I do something to stop it. Right. And so I think those are, those are the echoes, right? Like I, I highly doubt I'm going to be 60 years old, 70, 80 years old and be like totally stress-free. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty in the cards that like, this is how I am. And I've grown to love it because mm -hmm. um, it, it helps me in many ways. But I think having the vacation of the other way of being um, will, I think, help me go back and forth be between the two and hopefully be more sustainable. Right, right. Can you, um, we've talked a bunch about how we interact with other people. Can you talk about the, instead of, we've been talking about like mirroring other people, You've talked about your experience when you're in improv and you kind of lose the director's cut and there's a, a pureness in who yourself is then that doesn't have all the inner monologue going on. Can you talk about how the thoughts that we have, I mean, I often imagine and neuro, a neuroscientist I'd like to talk to sometime with the electrical currents of the physical thought that we have um, is that you've got all these thought bubbles 
with everybody's in the room, you know, sometimes driving in the morning back when I would commute to work, you know, you're thinking about who else is stressed out. You know, it's like, it's really active. And if, if all the, if all the thoughts were out loud. So if, if you look at what you're putting out in terms of how you're thinking of a situation, just talk about the interaction with other people, how you think our thoughts actually are entangled with other people. Once they, the thoughts get out our head, and even if they don't get out of their, our head with words, there are other ways for what we're thinking to ooze out. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I, I, I almost don't think of it in that way because mm. I feel like when I'm struggling, when I'm in a bad mood, when I'm stressed out, when I'm overthinking, my way to both calm myself down and connect with other people is the same thing, right? Is me really focusing on them mm. and really mirroring and really trying to just not think about myself. Like when I come to work, like uh, 12 and 13 year olds do not want to hear about me, <laughs> right? No. They don't want to, no. which is really liberating, right? Mm -hmm. I get to just focus on them and sort of like be where they are, really read the room, get a sense of, it's like, be, it's like being a performer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to like match the room in a way, or maybe I can play around with it. Maybe we're mm -hmm. really like low energy and I'm noticing, but I'm really trying to make it all about them, which actually helps me too, mm -hmm. because it puts me in a good mood mm -hmm. because I'm, it makes them feel really seen. Um, it helps us connect more. It helps us do what we have to do. Um, and then I also don't have to worry about my stuff anymore. Like it, it, it does, it does all of those things. Um, and so I think for me, maybe it's overly simplistic, but I don't, and maybe it's because I'm such an overthinker. I don't combat overthinking with more thoughts. Like when I'm doing it, and I'm in my head and I'm all, it's like me, me, me and all the complaining negative thoughts. I just focus in on like what's going on around me, what's going on for this person. Mm -hmm. And it really helps me get rid of that tunnel vision because it really feels like things are closing in. Right. When I'm like stressed out, I'm in a bad mood. I can feel my like temperature growing up. And then I notice almost nothing, mm -hmm. right? I'm so in my head. And if I just shift the focus um, and really start looking. And that's that's part of the reason I have this like naming it game. Like one of the things I do is just like table, uh, projector, door. And like, at least I'm like trying to open up um, what I'm observing so that my brain can't keep thinking all those things. Like right. it can't do both things at once. And I'd well, much I'll rather be observing and connected than like all in my head with tunnel vision or blinders on. What I liked about my, you know, dipping into the deep end of the pool for a while on improv is that in all the talk of mindfulness, you know, you do your meditation and you try to get out of your space and, you know, you're feeling your body, your feet touching the floor or whatever. Improv gets you to be mindful, but it takes it out of your space because yeah. you're you're paying attention to another person or people and trying to focus on them and so i like that as a another tool um as a way when you you know when you're getting 
all agitated up or just want to engage with somebody where you feel like you're talking at a superficial level and you want to get down to, a, yeah. you know, like what's really going on. Yes. Um, yeah. But that's, those are good tools for that. Well, yeah, I really, I, I've tried to do like the meditating and, you know, the mindfulness. And for me, it it, it is, and yoga, it's missing the like people, the mess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that once you get really good at it, I think you can apply it, but I almost wanted it to be messy from the beginning. Like put me in a room with some like loud 13 year olds and some, you know, who knows what, and then let's talk meditation, right? What does it look like? then because life is at least my life is is really loud and chaotic and it doesn't yeah. you know and, and I do I'm not saying meditation is something people shouldn't do like the right. value in it is tremendous right mm -hmm. um, and there's so many studies about how valuable and effective it can be um, but I I really am interested in tools that don't just make me feel better mm -hmm. but that like connect me to other people like mm -hmm. I, I think I am a historically very socially anxious person. And so for me, I, I like that it all goes together. Like that that the the way through um like helping my own mental health is actually mm -hmm. helping other people, right? It's not me just fixing it behind closed doors, but it's mm -hmm. me like getting more connected with people around me and community, um, having a clearer sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, the more I have those things, the less I'm thinking about like. I don't like how she said that, <laughs> right? right? I just don't have the bandwidth for it anymore. With the, I can't tell you what a treat it is to talk to you in person versus I can hear your voice when you speak before <laughs> I knew who you were. And I listened to a podcast. And it's like, that's exactly how I heard him in the book. So I mean, <laughs> yes. your personality definitely comes through with your, uh, your commenting in the book. Um, so tell us about what other Two things. I want to say, what words of wisdom would you leave people with? And then I wanted to talk about what projects you're working on now in the two yeah. minutes left, three minutes we have left. It feels strange for me to be giving words of wisdom uh, just because I feel sometimes that, you know, that I think one of my things I always go back to is that we all have no idea what we're doing <laughs> and we're all hot messes and we're all really struggling but we're all doing the best we can, right? It's that old social worker concept, right? Of like, we're doing the best with the tools we currently have. Mm. Um, and so I think my 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 words of wisdom are um, that mental health and, and you know, things like anxiety, um, overthinking, um, it doesn't, sort of dealing with those things doesn't have to be dry. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be clinical. Um, I think that's one of the things I'm really trying to do is figure out how it can be more fun. Um, cause I'm not going to do a, like, you know, dialectical behavioral therapy worksheet, <laughs> you know, as my, yeah. my therapy homework, I'm just not going to do it. Right. I'll like sort of answer it in my head. I'm not going to fill it out. Right. But if my mental health work and my mm -hmm. relationship work is a little silly and a little fun, then like, I'm going to keep doing it. And, and I wrote Play Your Way saying, I started writing it like a decade ago. It was a mm -hmm. long process, like, and I'm still doing it. I still think of new games all the time. Um, I'm still constantly thinking of how I can make um, having 
more like content, satisfying days, like a, a more fun pursuit, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm not trying to make it not fun to right. feel better, right? right? So I think that's one of the things is like find your way to try to make it a little more fun if you can in whatever mm -hmm. moment you're in, right? Like some people, you know, someone who's severely cl clinically depressed, right. I'm not going to tell that person like just find the fun. Like, you know, it's not for everyone, but like if, if you if I say that and it kind of makes sense in your brain, like give it a try, right? Of like, how can, how can I make this work, not work? How can I make it a game? Would you tell us what your uh, next project is that you're working on? I uh, continue to write for psychology today. So I really enjoy, um, usually at least once a month, I, uh, I post uh, often it's improv related, you know, science, cognitive science, psychology related, lots of, um, trying to explain some of the research happening um, so that more people understand um, some of the benefits of improv. Uh, but then other times I'm talking about kindness or Lady Gaga, right? I, I write about what I, what I wanna write about. Uh, so that's ongoing, uh, which I really enjoy. And then I do a monthly newsletter as well. Um, I've really taken a step back from social media. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I really focus on the, the articles for psychology today and then my newsletter to all the, you know, play your way sane, you know, subscribers. Mm -hmm. um, and then actually last summer, um, I was really, you know, trying to figure out what's the next book, what's the next book, and then trying to like figure out how, how I can get a book deal and, you know, go through things the right, the right way, the right channels in the right order. And that's not what Play Your Way Sane was. Like <laughs> I just wrote the whole book and then, you know, eventually sent it to an editor and the editor, you know, said, all right, we'll, we'll buy the book. And, you know, it was Simon <laughs> and Schuster and, and that's how that happened. And oh. so that was a really fun experience because I enjoy the process of writing and the creativity and sort of finding out who I am and what I think through the writing. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to communicate these ideas that I think are really important. And so last summer, I stopped all this, like trying to get a book deal stuff. Um, and I just wrote a whole book last summer. And so <laughs> that's, you know, maybe it will turn into something. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know, if, you know, I, I have no idea, but um, it's really focused more for young people, mm -hmm. um, like the students I teach. So 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, and it's really a response to what I see as a teacher a lot, which is, I don't know how to start. I don't know what to say, like all these writing struggles. Um, and I think they feel like they're becoming more pronounced to me. Um, it feels like as time is going on, on and on that, that young people um, are, are just really struggling with like facing that blank page. And so I wanted to take my approach, that sort of improv hmm. writing approach hmm. and really codify it and get it down into like lessons and steps. Um, and I had a ton of fun writing it. Uh, maybe I'll just use it in the classroom. Maybe it will be a book someday mm -hmm. um, that people can buy at, at Barnes and Noble or, you know, I, I don't know, but that's sort of where I'm at now is I want to see where this project goes. So with the, with the um, sharing exercises for the kids to kind of um go through with fear of the blank page is that 
trying to encourage them to be able to express their thoughts more from like a journaling free write perspective or in terms of a, an essay, you know, to do their homework to get words down on the page? I think it's both. Uh, I, I talk throughout the whole book about um, essays and, you know, oh, your teacher is standing over you and saying you have to write a journal and do a free write. And even that open-ended stuff, students are like, I don't have anything to say. And so mm. it's 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 all those things. Mm. Um, I think it's it's a lot of improv related exercises to get you to just write stuff, right? right? Write anything. And then if you have that yes and skill with your writing, if you write a really, really bad first sentence to an essay, you can yes and it and write yeah. another one and then sort of like find your groove into it. And then maybe you go back and delete the first two sentences that truly were bad, <laughs> or maybe it wasn't that bad. Right. So it's a lot of, of improv inspired stuff. One of them is about um, really figuring out who your writing alter ego is, because mm. I have one. Mm -hmm. um, it really helps me, you know, if, if I sit down to write with my everyday brain, I would never write anything, right? Because it wouldn't be good enough. What are people going to think about it? You can't write a psychology today article about Lizzo. Like you just can't, but you know what? I, I did <laughs> and I'll continue to do stuff like that. Um, and I think you said earlier about my, my voice, like that's mm -hmm. such a big compliment for me because mm -hmm. yeah, I have my PhD and some master's degrees and oh, fancy, fancy, right? Mm -hmm. But I am most interested in communicating clearly and authentically. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the gift I wanna give to younger people is, is you know, you don't have to get all the commas right. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm from Ohio. So like I, I uh, didn't know how to use infinitive phrases quite correctly, grammatically, right? Um, and it, it's, it's like become part of my identity. I know that it's grammatically incorrect, but like, that's who I am, right. right? I know I shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition, but I'm going to, right? right? Because <laughs> that's how people talk. That's how I talk. So I, I think a big part of what I'm trying to do is to give my students, um, and maybe someday whoever reads this book, that access to another side of their brain, another way of their brain operating, which mm -hmm. is to not care about that stuff, to know that the blank page is just pure opportunity, right? Like who knows, how can I delight, how, how can I write an essay about the civil war, but make that fun, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe you can quote SZA uh, in, in your civil war essay. I don't know, that sounds like a fun challenge. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite essays from last year, the student, uh, wrote like started out with a Taylor Swift quote and it was <laughs> and it like made sense um, and it was a great quote and it it to me I loved it so much because I knew that was coming from that student mm -hmm. who likes Taylor Swift mm -hmm. but also had to write something for my class right like that student was having fun even though the assignment on its on the surface maybe didn't look fun I think mean, that's what I'm trying to do is like, it's any kind of writing like you, that, that's been one of my strengths, I think is like, I can figure out a way to clayify any kind of writing, 
and and really to put my my heart and my soul and my voice into it. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to help other people do. I would think with those kids, you are such a good teacher. I wanted you as a teacher, but to give, um, it's like there's an authority figure, obviously, that goes with that. And it sounds like you're giving, there's parameters, but you're giving them permission to be themselves in a way that they had a preconceived notion about how they should be operating. And they're like kicking and screaming because they don't want to. And you kind of take some of that away so that they can put the energy into what they want to talk about without why I don't want to be doing this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. um, you've given them permission, even though you're trying to say you don't need permission, but that's part of the game in, in trying to navigate and figure out your place in the world. Yeah. And part of it, you know, I, I talked about Keith Johnstone earlier. I'm going to talk about him again. Um, his teaching style, he was a, an improv, uh, improv teacher. His whole style was to like lower his status so that his students like raised their status. And so he would play up this like old man, bumbling, making mistakes. He would even say like, are there any awful improvisers? Like who's really bad, right? So that everyone was like, oh, this guy seems like he needs help. <laughs> He's not some expert, right? I mean, right. even though he is, but like, I'll jump up, like I'll help him. Um, I'm not that good at improv, like what can it hurt? And so I, I try to do that in the class too. Mm -hmm. You know, I really try to be myself, which I think sort of lowers my status. So hopefully other people in the room, my students can increase theirs. Yeah, well, we could go on for hours. Yes. And it's, it was like, which one of these, you know, did I want to talk about? I will let you know one thing is that I had a friend who um, had her grandkids that were having a hard time with their dads remarrying somebody. And tried to say, you know, you got to get over it. This is your, this is going to make your dad happy. And they were really judgy and whatnot. So the section on judgy, we were at a, a girlfriend retreat. And when I came back, I, I gave her those, that chapter. And so she was going to use that next time. So I think you helped that family with the kids being more accepting with the new, what was going to be a new stepmom. So oh, I love I thank that. you on her behalf. I thank you on her behalf. Well, let's thank keep in you. touch. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time and learn so much. And it was really nice talking to you. Thank you so much, Beth. This okay. has been great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. As with all other podcasts, if you enjoyed this, please like, review, subscribe, and share with others. Hope to see you next time.